Very good morning to you. I'd like to grab your coffee, Bibles, drinks. This morning we're looking forward to celebrating Pentecost. Today's Pentecost Sunday. And we were really looking forward to celebrating Pentecost Sunday by having Amy or Ewing coming to speak. You may or may not have noticed that I am actually not Amy or Ewing. Um, sadly. Uh, sadly, Amy's done something to her back. And so, she's what? She's got a herniated disc, apparently, and so she can't move. And so, um, she's had to cancel. <laughs> and so, you get me. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Right answer, right answer. Uh, the good thing is, because she's sort of uh, done her back in and had to let us down, we're going to be able to get her to come back for like a, a six-month teaching series, we think. Um, so do join us as we send our love and prayers uh, to her for a, a speedy recovery. And as I say, hopefully once she's on the mend, she'll come back and join us. Um, so, without much preparation, if you've got a Bible, tell me to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there are some lying around here at the back or somewhere. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those uh, with our best wishes. Um, don't use it as a doorstop. Take it away and use it to read. Uh, John chapter 20. This is Jesus in verse 21, I think it is. Uh, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, just as an aside, before we get into what we're going to look at this morning, this, um, this bit in the middle of what Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Especially as we kind of come into landing on these last few days of thy kingdom come, where we've been praying every day for five of our friends to come to know Jesus. These words of Jesus here, they're literally the foundation stone of our theology of mission, if you like. Uh, this idea that we have been sent out by God into all the world to make disciples. Uh, Jesus was sent by the Father, and then you and I are sent by Jesus, and we are sent by the Spirit of God ourselves, which when you think about it is pretty incredible. It's pretty amazing stuff. But if we ignore the stuff that comes before, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, if we ignore the stuff that comes before it, or indeed if we ignore the stuff that comes after it, that Jesus says, we're going to find ourselves pretty quickly getting into trouble. If we ignore the bit that comes before it, where Jesus says, peace be with you, which in, in Jesus' language, that, what that is, is that's about the kingdom. That's um, the shalom of the kingdom. That, that carries with it this whole idea of uh, flourishing, of life, of joy, of wonder. All the things that are encapsulated in the extensive thing of the kingdom of God, all the things that God has called us to in Jesus. If we ignore that, and then if we ignore on top of that, we ignore the stuff that comes after it, which is receive the Holy Spirit, um, you know, the idea of the empowered presence of the Spirit of God, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit deep uh, within us. If we ignore all of that, then we are left with what is pretty much a surefire way of getting pretty tired, and pretty grumpy, and pretty burnt out in terms of our relationship with how we're doing 
Christianity and how we're doing, particularly in this context, mission. And I think there's something this Pentecost Sunday that the Spirit of God is wanting to um, invite us all into this morning. He's wanting to invite us to remember about him and his uh, call on our lives as we receive um, the peace of his uh, presence in all its fullness and as we receive uh, the Spirit um, himself. So it is Pentecost Sunday, and what better place to start than um, Genesis chapter 1, of course. Uh, but before we get there, should we just, should we just pray? <laughs> Shall we pray? Yes. Oh, good. Awesome. Let's just take a moment. Let's invite the Spirit of God to come. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes, and we'll just be still and wait on the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. We know that you're already here, but we ask that you would be particularly present with us this morning. Come and do your work. Pour out your spirit on your church and distribute your gifts of healing and prophecy and words of knowledge, encouragement. Come and do something profound in us this morning. In Acts chapter 4, it says, after they'd prayed, the place where they were all gathered together was, was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God boldly. And this morning we ask that you would do that again. Would you do again in our time, in our days, in our lives? Would you do again what we know that you've done before? Spirit of the living God, we invite you, we welcome you here. Say, come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1. should be familiar with you. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, the word spirit here in the Hebrew is ruach, which um, can be translated as breath or as spirit or as wind. And in this story, right from the very beginning, the ruach of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, the, the spirit of God is present and is hovering over the waters. And the, the imagery here, we'll come back to this in a bit, bit further on, the imagery here is like of the Spirit of God over the waters like a bird um, flapping its wings, kind of brooding, kind of hovering over um, the waters. So Genesis chapter 1, you've got this right from the very beginning, right from the outset, the Spirit of God present over the waters. And it's interesting because one of the most common metaphors, one of the ways of describing the Spirit of God and the work of the Spirit of God throughout the Bible, the, the ways of describing this ruach, this, um, the Spirit of God, the wind of the Spirit, all the way through the Scriptures, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New, uh, is, is of water. Water just keeps cropping up as one of the metaphors for 
the Spirit of God. And I thought one of the things we could just do is quickly have a trace and see some of the highlighted points throughout the Scriptures where um, this is true, where we can see the Spirit of God being, being described as water right from Genesis uh, and going on from there. So that's what we've seen in Genesis. Turn with me to Isaiah, um, Isaiah chapter, I think it's 44. Um, I'm aware that there's quite a lot of scripture between Genesis and Isaiah, right? So um, it's quite interesting that I'm saying, let's talk about these threads all the way through scripture, and then there aren't any actually between Genesis and Isaiah. So that in itself is an interesting thing, because when you're reading through the Old Testament, you don't actually read much about the ruach or the breath or the, the wind of God through that sort of section of the Old Testament. I mean, he's there. Obviously, he's there. He's there in the second sentence uh, of the first chapter of Genesis. So obviously, he's alive and active and present. But when you read those bits of the Old Testament from Genesis through to Isaiah, particularly with the beginning of the prophets, it's kind of like the Spirit of God's a little bit in the shadows. And he's sort of there every once in a while. He kind of steps out into the foreground and he does something like pretty astounding and pretty amazing. It's usually at some major juncture in the story of Israel or in the history of humanity. And he'll manifest himself on a prophet or a king or something. But kind of as fast as he appears, he sort of then disappears back into the background. But he's there. He's there all the way through, a little bit in the background, all the way through the Old Testament. But then you get to the prophets, and starting with Isaiah, the prophets start to see a day in the future, and they start to look ahead uh, to see a day on the horizon when the Holy Spirit would actually come out of the shadows and into the fullness and into the light once and for all. And in doing so, the, the Spirit of God would usher in this whole new reality, not only for Israel, but for the earth itself. So have a look at Isaiah 44. This is Isaiah 44, verse 1. This is, but now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. This is speaking to God's uh, people. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. Verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. This is written to a people living in the desert. He's saying, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. Again, remember, this is for the future. This is a prophetic word for the future. It's not for Isaiah. It's on his descendants and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. And again, this imagery is like, this is desert. This is wilderness. This is barren land. And yet this image here is of um, grass and fertility and abundance. This image of water is, is coming through. Deep, rich, life-transforming, life-changing water, turning desert into green pasture. So Isaiah is dreaming of this day when God will literally pour out water onto a thirsty land and streams will come on the dry ground. And that's just one example. And you, you see this idea of water all the way through Isaiah, through the prophets. You see it in Joel, Joel famously in chapter 2, um, this prophecy around that gets quoted here on, on the day of Pentecost. Afterwards, again, this is prophecy. This isn't for Joel. This is in Joel chapter 2. This isn't for Joel. This is for the future. This is for the descendants of Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Again, there's 
water images, liquid. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Again, this idea of pointing towards the future where the spirit of God will be poured out and dry land will be transformed. And the prophets keep coming back to this idea. They keep pointing all these signposts, pointing ahead that one day in the future, God would pour out his spirit and it would be literally like water in the desert. It would be like um, uh, springs of of, of water in, in these dry places. And that goes on through the Old Testament, and then we come to the life of Jesus. And uh, turn on with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, verse 32. This is uh, John. John gives his testimony to John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Now, this is John the Baptist, and he's retelling the story of Jesus baptism and and when Jesus comes out of the Jordan when he comes up out of the water we read that the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven on Jesus like a dove and we're kind of like you know have you ever wondered like what is that actually about like like what's with the dove like why why a dove you know why not like a pigeon or um, a sparrow like what's so great about doves What's this actually about? It's interesting that he says, like a dove. Okay, so he's not saying the Holy Spirit is a dove. He's saying it's like a dove. Now, this is something I found out the other day. It's quite interesting. It was interesting to me. Hopefully it's interesting to you. Um, most first century Jews uh, in and around Jesus' time, um, their first language wasn't actually Hebrew. It was Aramaic. And... So in order for them to read the Old Testament, they needed a translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Aramaic. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the Aramaic translation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is the spirit flapped its wings over the water like a dove. Huh. Who knew? And so here we are in John chapter 1, and we're right back to the very beginning. And this is all very well known in Jesus' time. They all get, they're getting all of these references, you know, in a way that sometimes we don't. And it's basically, this is John's way of saying, listen, pay attention to this. This is important. Because in the same way that the Spirit of God was over the waters of creation, the Spirit of God is now over Jesus meaning that Jesus is nothing short of a new creation of the world itself. That's what God is up to in Jesus. John chapter 1 is, um, is Genesis chapter 1 all over again. Charlie, um, Charlie started a Bible study at the yard um, on Tuesday during Job Club, which was amazing. So Job Club was kind of going on at the yard, and Charlie sat down with a group of people who have just come along to the yard just to kind of enjoy hanging out. And he said to them, him and James had said to them a couple of weeks ago, should we just do like a Bible study? And they're like, yeah, definitely. So they started this Bible study. And they were looking at, on Tuesday, it started with John chapter 1. And uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, blah, 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 blah. And it was fascinating just listening to these guys. Some of them who may or may not be very familiar with the Scriptures. But one of them, just in the middle of it, just went, this is exactly the same as Genesis chapter 1. So... Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Anyway, 
Then John goes on in uh, chapter 1, verse 33. It says, I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, this word uh, baptize is um, baptizo in Greek, uh, and it kind of does what it sounds like on the tin. It, it, it basically means to immerse. It means to cover all the way with water. It means to drench, to saturate, to cover from head to toe. You know, we talk about being baptized in water and that same imagery, that same experience of being baptized in water is what John's talking about here and referring uh, to the Holy Spirit. There have been all kinds of controversies um, and arguments in the church around this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I am not going anywhere near any of that right now. All we need to know, for now at least, is that when Jesus comes, he immerses us, he plunges us all the way under in the water of the presence of the Spirit of God. This idea of the water of the Holy Spirit, is, it's all over John's Gospel. You know, I haven't got time to go into Jesus' first miracle at the wedding at Cana. Um, we can have a look at John chapter 4. Love this section here of John chapter Four, this is the woman um, Jesus meets at the well. I'm just going to read this whole thing, just in case you're not familiar with it. It starts in verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to get the water. Living water. And it's interesting, John doesn't really explain, he doesn't tell us you know, what this living water is. We have to kind of keep reading. We have to keep going on and, and seeing how the, the, the illustration kind of unfolds. Um, on to chapter 7. Uh, a bit of background to chapter 7. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, this is a famous uh, feast. It was a time when the Jews looked back to and remembered the story and the narrative of the Exodus and uh, this time in Israel's history when everyone lived in um, tents or tabernacles, right? And hundreds of years later, for the Feast of Tabernacles, Everyone would go to Jerusalem because the temple was there, and they basically go camping for a week. It's sort of like a precursor to new wine, right? And so everyone is there. They're all in Jerusalem. They're in a tent, their own tent, right? Not sharing one big tent, but they're in tents for a week. And they're not only 
looking back to the, and remembering the Exodus, but they're kind of also looking forward. They're on, looking forward onto a day when God would do something new and fresh and that he would um, lead his people into a new Exodus, a second Exodus, right? Now, um, on the last day of this seven-day feast, everyone would crowd into Jerusalem, like hundreds of thousands of people, and the high priest okay, would start at the bottom of the city. Jerusalem's on a hill. And he would go to, he'd start off at the pool of um, Siloam, which is like the water source for the city. And he would start there, and he'd got this great big gold, golden bucket. And, and he'd dip the golden bucket into the, the well at Siloam and fill it with water all the way to the brim. And then what he would do is he'd walk up the main street in Jerusalem up to the temple, up to Temple Mount. And you've got hundreds and thousands of people on either side as he's kind of going up the streets with this gold bucket full of water. And everyone would be singing um, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, which is, with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. They're all singing that, and this whole party's going on. And so there's all this singing and there's all this um, partying going on, all these, pe- all these people. The high priest would walk up to the city and he'd go up to Temple Mount and go to the temple. And then he'd get to the temple and there in front of even more people at the temple, he would pour out the water onto the altar. And then this hush would fall over the crowd. And it's this incredibly symbolic act pointing towards the Jewish people, pointing towards a day and an age where that would actually happen, where God's presence would be poured out as water, where Joel, what Joel said would finally happen. You know, where as a nation, as a people, as God's people who are hungry and thirsty for more of the presence of God, that would be fulfilled. The people, these people are crying out for the Holy Spirit to come out of the shadows. They are thirsty for the water of the Holy Spirit. And there's this symbolic act, this act of faith that's going on every Feast of Tabernacles, which is we believe that this is going to happen. We believe that this day is coming. We believe that one day the Holy Spirit will be poured out like water into a dry and barren land and turn it into something green and lush. With that in mind, let's just have a look at John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus, this is the last and biggest day, this is when everyone's cheering and they're all shouting out Isaiah 12 and the priest walking up and down the streets with his gold bucket. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do you see what's happening? Jesus stands up like for everyone to hear. The whole city and he says, I'm here. What you've been waiting for, for hundreds of years, I'm here. You've been waiting for the ruach. You've been waiting for the breath. You've been waiting for the wind of God. You've been waiting for the water of the Spirit of God. Here I am. You've been waiting for the desert to turn into spring. I'm right here. And what he's saying is, He's saying the the Holy Spirit, 
I, the Holy Spirit, am right here. And we know that he means the Holy Spirit because we can see that in the next verse because he says, by this, chapter 30, uh, verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit. So it's not ambiguous or opaque. It's pretty clear. Whom those believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. When does the Spirit come? Pentecost. Okay. Point is, Jesus is saying, listen up, guys. The Spirit is finally here. Out from the shadows. And what's the Spirit like? Well, one of the metaphors that we're looking at is that the Spirit of God is like living water. And once again, don't forget, this is the ancient Near East. And so this is desert. And Jesus is saying, you know, not only is like the Holy Spirit like living water. If you come to me, if you come to Jesus and you drink, you'll never thirst again. You know, this is a land where thirst is a way of life. And yet Jesus is saying, you will have so much water in you, so much living water, that it will fill you and overflow out of you, and it will spill out of you onto the streets and in the lives of the people around you. All you've got to do is come to me and drink. So all of that begs the question, I think, for us this morning is, um, are you thirsty? Are we thirsty? Because a number of us, I think, if we're brutally honest, which we're not very good at being, myself included, um, we would say, you know what, I've been a follower of Jesus for like five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, maybe longer. I've been part of the church for a while. And do you know what, in all truth, I'm still really thirsty. Like, I feel really thirsty. I feel like there must be more. And I don't know if I'm supposed to feel like that because, you know, it's supposed to be like we come to Jesus and there's like all these streams of living water bubbling up inside me and spilling out onto the highways and byways. But truth be told, there must be more than this. I don't feel like I've stepped into the abundance of life that Jesus promised me and Maybe this is abundant living, and I just don't feel it or know it, and I just don't quite know where I'm at. I, you know, I, I read my Bible, I'm, on, like, I'm up to speed, or I'm a little bit behind on my Bible in a year. You know, I, I've, I've done the Thy Kingdom Come thing, I've prayed for like, my friends, and I go to a small group every week, or, well, you know, every couple of weeks, but I go, you know, I'm kind of there, just not necessarily there all the time, but I'm there, and, you know, I come to church Sundays, Sometimes twice, sometimes not. But I, I'm, again, I'm there. I give my money away. I'm doing all the right stuff. But do you know what? I just, it feels like something's missing. There's got to be more. And um, I think, truth be told, a lot of us in the church, we're, we're confused. We get confused. We don't like to tell anyone because it sounds like we're lacking in faith or we're not very good Christians or we're doubting or... We're being honest, and that would be a terrible, terrible thing. Um, so we keep it secret, right? Uh, I'm just confessing. I'm confused. Because we read all this stuff about coming to Jesus and never having to thirst again, and it's, it's confusing sometimes because we say, well, I, I've, I've come to Jesus, but I, 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 right now I feel pretty thirsty. I'm thirsty for more. You know, I, I see these gaps between what I read in here, you know, what I see in like the life of the early church and this, our experience of church. I mean, this church is so incredible, so amazing. And yet I still see tensions 
in the gap between the early disciples and my own discipleship in the early church and our own lives. We, we read all this stuff about signs and wonders and healings and resurrections and people dying for their faith and, and literally thousands of people coming to faith and people giving everything that they have away and all that kind of stuff. And when we read all of that and I'm like, oh, I want that. I want that. Where is, where is that? I want that for our church. I want that for my life. I want that for our generations. Billy Graham had this to say. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry. They're thirsty for something. Their Christian experience isn't all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The desperate need of the nations today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the spirit of the living God. And I kind of read that, I was like, yeah, that sounds, that feels like me. That sounds about right. Christian experience isn't all they expected. They've often recurring defeat in their lives. We're hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The desperate need, our desperate need is to be filled with the spirit of the living God. And, you know, Billy Graham, he's got a lifetime of eyes on the church around the world. Um, he's saying that what's missing in the church is the Holy Spirit. Every man, every woman, every child needs to be filled with the spirit of the living God. And that's it. And truth be told, no one's going to argue with Billy. Um, I'm certainly not. You know, and as a church, as, a, as individuals, we so badly want to close the gap. But you know, we want to close the gap between what we read about, what we die for, what we thirst for, how we actually live, what we actually experience. But it's really hard to do. You know, we, 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 say, when we, we say we want more. When we say that we're thirsty for more, um, when we say, like, you know, I want more, I want more, I want more of the Lord. Um, you know, when we're saying we want more, you know we're not saying we want more, like, power. Yeah? Do we, do we know that? When we're saying we want more, we're not saying we want more of like, the goodies that the Holy Spirit can give us. But we're not saying we want more prophecy or more healings or more signs or more wonders or more words of knowledge or more fireworks. That's not what we mean when we say we want more. What we are saying, all those things are good. What we're saying when we want more is that we want more of him. We want more relationship. We are thirsty for relationship, intimacy with the person of the Holy Spirit, not what the Holy Spirit can give us. We're just thirsty and hungry for him. Now, some of us are just like, well, I've already got the Holy Spirit, so how can I have more, right? And if we're looking at it like that, then chances are that's an indication that we can think of, we think of the Holy Spirit more of a, as, as a doctrine than as a person uh, that we either have or we don't have, right? What I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is a person whose relationship knows no end. There is always more of him. Um, I first met Kate, my wife, my lovely wife Kate, over 30 years ago. Uh, and the first time I met her, literally, I told my roommate that I'd just met the woman I was going to marry. Um, 
It took, took me a few years to persuade Kate of that fact, but I, I, eventually, I eventually got there in the end. Uh, we've been married, we've known each other for over 30 years, 30 something like years, and uh, we've been married for 27. And um, the truth be told, I am still learning new things about her, like every day, like multiple times a day, like multiple, multiple, multiple times a day. What? Keep me on my toes. You certainly flipping do. That's certainly true. Uh, but that's a good thing. But not only am I discovering more things about her and therefore about myself, um, I am still falling more and more in love with her as every day goes by. After 30 years, at least. And my point is this, that when we come to Jesus, yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but it's a relationship that we grow into over the years and it gets better and better and deeper and deeper and the intimacy just gets more and more and more. And that's the invitation that's being extended to us. And I think sometimes we take the presence of the Spirit of God a little bit for granted. Let's just go back to John 7:37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, that anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There's an invitation here, right, from Jesus, and it is to us today. And the invitation is um, to believe, whoever believes in me. It's to come, that anyone who is thirsty come to me, and to drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink drink. The invitation is to believe, to come, and to drink. Uh, now, the belief part's pretty straightforward. You know, you believe in God, you, you, you believe in particular as this context, we're talking about the Ruach of God and the Spirit of God, who was in the beginning over the waters and is now deep within you. So most of us here probably believe in that. We believe in the Spirit of God. And so what else do we need to do? Because it doesn't stop with believing. The next thing we need to do is we need to come. And, and that just means we come before God. We come into God's presence. We come before him in prayer. And we just express prayer. What I mean is we just express our thirst to God. We come and we go, God, I am thirsty. I want, I want more. I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want there to be a deeper intimacy with you. I just want to keep in step and in sync with what your spirit is doing. I want your power and your presence to flow uh, through me and out of the depth of my being. I want living water to well up and overflow out of me, pouring out onto the streets where I walk and find myself working and walking and doing my day. That's what I want. And then we drink. We drink. We, we believe and then we come and then we drink. And that means we just literally kind of like open our mouths and open our body and our soul and we open our minds and open all that we are to the living God and we let him wash over us and we let him fill us from the inside. So, you know, most of us, as I say here, we, most of us believe in the Holy Spirit. My question for us, my challenge for us today is, is, is how do we come? Do we come? And how do we drink? 
mean, it would be a bit controversial right now. Someone said, go off piste, but this is reckless. Sometimes I stand at the back of church during worship. Most often I stand at the back of church during worship. I sometimes wonder whether I'm seeing a church passionately pressing in to worshiping God. Just for you to think about how, when we come here, how are we coming? How have we prepared to gather as the body of Christ in the presence of Almighty God? To press into worship, to open our hearts to the scriptures, to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've noticed a trend over the last little while during ministry. There's like a, there's like a reluctance and a lack of expectation maybe. Maybe it's a disappointment. I have it. There's an invitation this morning for us to come. Think about how are we coming individually. You know, you look at the Psalms and the Song of Ascents. As the pilgrims would make their way up to Jerusalem, they would sing the Psalms. They would sing the Songs of Ascents in preparation for going to the temple. How are we preparing our hearts for coming together as the body of Christ? Is there a danger that we take all of this sort of slightly for granted? Just a thought. Are we still friends? There's an invitation for us to come and to drink. And I think this morning, the Spirit of God wants to pour out his presence on us. I think he wants to quench some of our thirst. I think a lot of us are thirsty. We're, we're, life has been difficult. Life has been hard. We're we're not entirely sure where we are with our faith. We're hanging on in there by our fingernails. And the Spirit of God wants to fill us again with his presence. You know, there's a, an encouragement in here. We're going to minister to one another in a second. But, you know, like, just make a decision this, this week, this coming week, when you wake up tomorrow morning, when you, you, you get up each day, just to step into this rhythm of believing and coming and drinking. You know, so tonight... When you kind of go to bed, you know, tomorrow when you wake up, every day this week, let's, let's make a decision to choose to believe the things that we know to be true. Let's go to the Lord and let's come into his presence and say, I'm, I'm thirsty, I want more. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then just open up your life to God's empowering presence and see what he wants to do. Amen. Why don't you stand?